0: that God makes God's self known to us most powerfully and personally. And to lose track of our stories is to be profoundly impoverished, not only humanly, but also spiritually. So I wanna tell you a little bit of my story. I was born in Vancouver, Washington, just across the river. And for the first years of my childhood, Um, lived in that community. We moved far away from Vancouver and I grew up the latter part of my childhood in Mexico. And then somehow I've ended up coming full circle and I've ended up back where I belonged. I mean, back where I started. My growing up spiritually has been similar. I started in one place in a very distinct culture But then in my journey have moved really far away from that and deconstructed much of that. But then I've come back and in full circle to where I began reconstructing and re-understanding that paradigm and that culture. I'd like to begin with the question that I'd like you to just hold for a moment. Can you remember who you were before the world and other people told you who you should be? Can you remember who you were before the world and other people told you who you should be? Would you just sit with that question just for a minute? I was born into a family that was deeply Christian. We were in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night prayer meeting, and often there was some youth program or something else going on in the weekend. We prayed before every meal, we had daily devotions, and we went to a Christian school. There were very specific rules regarding gender roles and acceptable behavior. There were a lot of don'ts. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew and don't go with boys who do um, with some of them. Um, And there were clearly lots of the lots of do's as well. Read your Bible every day, pray every day. Be ready to witness whenever you have a chance. And at the very core of this paradigm was that we are sinners. We have missed the mark. We've been born in sin and shapen in iniquity. We were a mess and really needed to be saved. And the only way to be saved was through blood. And not just any blood, but it was sacrificial blood, blood sacrifice. And it wasn't just any blood sacrifice, but it was the blood of God's own son sacrificed to save us from our sins. And I do not in any way want to be on record as someone who is bashing and diminishing anyone's journey. And I am readily acknowledged that this paradigm paradigm is very near and dear to many Christians. It's something that still works for them. But, and I also wanna go on record to say clearly, I, I am a Jesus girl. It's through Jesus that I have experienced God most significantly. But this understanding of Christianity, this beginning with original sin, has for me personally been very deforming and very wounding. A logical conclusion of being born in sin resulted in our family and many of the families that we knew using, finish, using physical punishment to help us understand that we were sinners and needed to be saved. Now, my parents were not bad people and they did what they thought was good for us but the excessive use of physical punishment marked and molded much of my early life. That unique, authentic, true self that I was at birth soon became more and more lost as I realized that I was not acceptable being who I was and that I needed instead to figure out what others wanted me to be. It was a very um, mixed childhood, but one of the most saving graces I think of that whole experience and continues to be is that I was born a twin and I had a twin sister that walked, we walked through this childhood together, Carol Lee and Cheryl D. um, And I'm so grateful for that part of growing up with her. Um, In very sharp contrast to this kind of thinking about God and this paradigm was what I have come to understand about children's spirituality and actually in fact the spirituality of all people adults and children at the heart of children's spirituality is this deep deep conviction that all children from birth have a deep connection to the divine and have that of God within them sounds pretty quicker doesn't it Let me tell you a story, a brief story that illustrates this so profoundly. There was a family that had a child and were soon expecting their second baby. And when they bought the baby home from the hospital, the older sibling insisted on having some time alone with the new baby. They were a little bit anxious about exactly what this older sibling's purpose was, but the child was very insistent, so they left the room. They had a good monitor, so they, were glued or had their ears right next to the monitor to hear what was going on. And they could hear the older child walk across the floor to where the crib was and the new baby. And they heard the child say, tell me about God, I've almost forgotten. Tell me about God, I've almost forgotten. It's so um, beautifully, I think, speaks about how we are born um, not as not the foundation, not being one of being born in sin, but being born as a beloved child of God, one in whom God says, this is my beloved child, the one in whom I take great delight. Um, I, I really couldn't find the right words Um, the strong enough words um, that were sufficient enough or brilliant enough to express the importance and life-changing result when we start from that place. You are good. I mean, our very first story in the Bible, the creation story, starts with, and God saw and God said, it is good. It is very good. And as Quakers, we are reminded to walk over this earth cheerfully, responding to that of God in every person. If we truly believed and actually looked for so we could respond to that of God in every person, if we really believed that, can you imagine? And if we truly, truly believed when we looked at our children, that we are convinced that there is God, that of God in each child. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? My father really wanted his life to matter. Um, In that culture, being a missionary was just about the highest rung on the ladder of importance and um, status. Um, He, my father was truly what we refer to as a jack of all trades, he could do anything. And he had been encouraged that he didn't have to have had a seminary degree or know how to preach to be a missionary, but he could bring his own carpenter skills and contribute just as meaningfully as anybody who was there um, preaching or teaching So my father sold our family home when I was in third grade, bought a 35-foot house trailer, and moved uh, all of us, my four brothers and my twin sister and my mom, to McAllen, Texas, right on the border of Mexico. Um, It really was uh, a pretty disastrous year. It was a year of a lot of disappointment and broken dreams. But it was during that year that my parents met some other missionaries. And there was a man who had an orphanage in Uduapan, Michoacan, And he said, if you come help me build some um, extra buildings on this um, for this orphanage, I'll give you, I'll pay your way there, give you enough food to eat while you're here and pay your way to get back to wherever you're going next. And that began almost 40 years of my dad doing that work building for missionaries so that they could do their work of saving souls. Um, In many ways, it was a very rich childhood, living in remote villages and in large cities, in hot and humid jungles, as well as mountainous indigenous communities, learning another language and being immersed in another culture the rules of how to be a good Christian became more rigid and narrow during early adolescence. I was beginning more and more to learn what masks to wear and who to be that would be acceptable to others. When I was 15, my sister and I were sent to Corn Bible Academy, a Mennonite boarding school in Corn, Oklahoma. Wouldn't you like to have that on your list of education history? Corn Bible Academy. Um, The next several years of that time was really an intense time of uh, identity crisis for myself. Um, There was a year in Mexico, a couple of years in the university in Oklahoma, four years at a charismatic Bible college in Portland, working in a nursing school and hospital in Nicaragua and Honduras and setting up a school program for family in Brazil, trying so hard to figure it out and to do it right. I met my first husband during this time, a brilliant man who carried wounds like we all do. We dated for four years, married, and left left almost right after our wedding to live and help on a ranch and Bible school in La Paz, Baja, California. We were were there for two years in La Paz. My oldest daughter was born um, during that time. Then we moved back to Portland where my husband at that time finished his university degree and worked for Tektronics. While well, I stayed at home trying to be the submissive wife birthing four more children, Jail, Ariel, Ketsia, Jemima and Gabe. I must say that those five children by far have been the greatest gift of my life and also the greatest teacher for me A quote that um, you heard a couple of Sundays ago that Clarissa and I think Mark also referred to, biologically, adults produce children, but spiritually, children produce adults. And most of us don't grow up until we've helped children to do so. That certainly has been my experience, that it's been children who have modeled and shown me um, this way to be and um, to be what we call spiritual and have that welcome into our, our lives. The marriage was difficult. Um, we had both deeply embraced that evangelical fundamental paradigm with very specific gender roles. I tried hard to be the submissive life, but became, it became increasingly unable to make it work. And after a particularly difficult period of time, I left. I took my five kids and moved down to be with my parents for some time. And in not too long after that, um, my husband died by suicide. I was um, in such a dark place. Um, That teaching of just trust Jesus and everything will be, be okay just seemed like such a a mean lie. Everything really fell apart for me. I I was so lost. I didn't have anything to hold on to anymore and I didn't know if anything or anybody was holding on to me. I often just had to tell myself, just just get through the morning, just get through the morning. And having five kids was really um, a help. It really, I think, saved my life in many ways. I had to get up and um, get them off to school. I had to go to work. I had to um, do laundry and I had to do things. Um, But it was such a difficult um, journey um, for me to walk myself and walk our five children through that time. At the time I was attending a large mega church in Vancouver and I was grateful for the anonymity of that place. It was huge, but I would go in and I would weep through most all of the service and um, just leave and nobody really knew who I was or why I was there. And one Sunday, I remember so distinctly coming out of that church and coming out through those big front doors and standing there and thinking, I am so beat up already and I do not need another sermon on how I'm not enough, how I don't pray enough, how I don't love enough or how I don't do whatever enough. And I said to myself, I, I'm already beat up. I don't need to come to church and be beat up anymore. So um, I, I quit going to church for a while. And it was during that time that my father moved right next door to me with my mom. Um, who was dying from cancer. And my twin sister, who lived in Texas, um, wanted to spend some time with my dad before he died. So she moved up from Austin and moved in with me. So picture this, nine kids, recently widowed, my dad just dying from cancer. It was really a very, it was a crazy time. And it was during that time that I got a call one day from Mary Kate Morse, an incredible friend and mentor to me. And she said, Carol, how would you like to go to the Trappist Abbey and um, have a couple of days of just quiet and solitude? Well, I thought it was a joke. And it's like, yeah, yeah, right, uh-huh. She said, no, 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 really, I had a reservation and I can't take it. And I went to the Abbey and it was such an incredible um, experience for me sitting in silence with the monks where there were no words, nobody trying to explain why and what the reason behind was all this was. It was just silence. And I started going back to the abbey um, monthly and uh, did it for close to 20 years. And um, it became such an important part of my life, living with the questions and knowing that there weren't answers, um, but wrestling with and walking those trails. My children used to say to me, mom, isn't it time you go to the, to the Abbey? And it really wasn't a, a sort of an honest, genuine caring for me, knowing that it made a difference um, and that I needed to do that. Um, during this time too, we did that really difficult job of sh- church shopping, especially when you have you know adolescent kids. But that's another part of this story that maybe sometime I'll tell you about how we ended up at Reedwood Friends, a Quaker meeting that not only took us in, and it was a place where we not only healed, but where we really literally um, thrived. And um, it was an amazing community at that time who really did um, save us in, in many ways. Um, and it was at that time that I was, um, asked by Susan Kendall, who was a pastor then, to take on the role of children's uh, programs. And I had just started that job when she came in. Susan did one day and said, you know, there's this conference that the Presbyterians are putting on about spirituality at the end of life and the beginning of life. And the person um, who's talking about spirituality at, at the beginning of life is this man, Jerome Berryman. I read his book in seminary, and I really think he should go. So I, a couple of weeks later, I walked into this, the big hall up at Manuka and there was this bearded man sitting on the floor with the gold box. And I often say when I tell this story that I opened the box and my life was changed. And in many ways, that's ac- absolutely accurate. There was something about that experience that it was not just giving us information about God, but inviting us into a story, a biblical story to experience God, and to experience that of God within me. There was something that deeply resonated for me. No one telling me what I was supposed to get out of it. No ex- outside expert telling me what it really meant. Just a simple telling of that story with an economy of words and an economy of gestures. And then at the end, asking me, Very simple questions, questions that didn't have, that weren't geared to be right or wrong. It was questions like, what did I like about the story? So from that very beginning, I was paying attention to me, what I liked, asking me what was important in that story. Again, no right or wrong. Where was I in this story and what could be left out? So often we ask children and other people questions that we already know the answer to, and we just want them to figure out what it is that we already know. Um, Like so many people, not just me, but now all over the world in hearing their first godly play story opens up something that truly has changed many of us. Um, And, really has, I think, saved us in so many ways. Again, that quote, adults produce children biologically, but spiritually children produce adults. And most of us don't grow up until we have helped children to do so. I came back from that conference so um, driven and it's another part of the story that someday I'll tell. But at Reedwood um, had a program where they invited um, weighty friends to come, the Center for Christian Studies. And I wanted to bring Jerome Berryman and really had presented that work to this committee that chose people to come. And I remember walking out and some of the elders literally patted me on the head and just, you just know, so dismissively and saying, I'm not even sure what all this gobbledygook is. But there was another one, Dwight Dick Kimberly, who said, Carol, if this is a dream of yours, don't let it die. And I spent two years, but eventually brought Jerome Berryman to Reedwood. And it was there that we sat on the floor and heard stories and began to be open to children's spirituality. It wasn't about trying to tell them what they needed to know about God, but giving them a story so that they could themselves listen to that of God within them. Um, some of the people here in this community, um, Lynn and Angus McCammett and Brad and Susan Hathaway and um, Carla Zimmerman, many people were a part of that journey. And it was a, 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 a such an important time. The other part, Another um, encouragement from Dwight Kimberly was, he's the one that said, Carol, I think you need to go to seminary. Um, And again, recorded and named and mirrored back to me gifts that resulted in my choosing to do seminary, which again was a very crazy thing. Five kids working full time and going to seminary. It was kind of a month by, or I mean a semester by semester discernment. Like, can I really do this? Um, Can my kids really handle one semester of this? but I did. And after that was recorded by the Northwest Yearly Meeting and joined the pastoral staff at Reedwood. And again, that was a very um, rich experience in time. Um, but as life really is, it's such a mixture of both great gift and also great, um, pain in many ways. And, um, It was after that time that then I was invited to pastor at Camas Friends and was pastor there for five years. That community was um, so important to me too. They saw me and they encouraged me to be who I was. And um, it was a wonderful five years of really being a part of that community and them recognizing who I was and the gifts that I brought. Um, I continued to do a lot of um, training for Godly Play. And um, at some venture was actually asked to be the director of training, which I was glad to do. And again, it was one of those mixtures of just such a great gift and also um, great challenge as Godly Play moved from a charismatic leader, um, trying to move it to the next generation. Those birth pains were painful, and there was very difficult, some very difficult times. There was a near bankruptcy, and most of us who were employed at that time um, were laid off. But um, I continued to do godly play and doing quite a bit of traveling. And it was during this time that I met Jeff Presswell, um, a widower and an amazing and gifted elementary school teacher who had mentored and taught children for 33 years here in Portland. We can hardly ever walk down the street without somebody looking and saying, Jeff Cresswell, is that you? And then saying that you were my favorite teacher or because of you, it's the way, the reason I'm doing what it is that I'm doing. We married 11 years ago. I've always felt that life was hard and never meant to be alone. It has been such an amazing gift to have a life partner with shared values and a deep soul connection. Jeff introduced me to the work of Parker Palmer and I was trained as a facilitator and now share retreat work with Jeff, building circles of trust where people are invited to listen to and trust their own inner teacher. Jeff is also a godly play trainer. So we are so privileged to be able to do this work together. Because I speak Spanish, I have been able to take godly play in Spanish to many different Latin American countries, Uruguay, Cuba, Mexico, Costa Rica, um, Guatemala, El Salvador, and then mostly recently um, trained trainers in Spain. Um, and it's been this meeting, West Hills, that has supported and encouraged much of this work, as well as a group of Quakers on the East Coast that have believed in this and have helped um, finance and sponsor us to do many of these travels. And there, there's more to this story, there always is more. Sometime, as I said, in the near future, I want to spend some more time really unpacking what I understand to be the importance of children's spirituality. There's not a lot of record in the Bible of what Jesus said about children, but listen to just a couple of these um, records of what Jesus said. Don't get in the way of children coming to me. Let them come and don't hinder them because unless you, you as an adult figure out what it is like to be a child, you can't even enter. You can't even get your door, your toe in the door of the kingdom of God. And then one that I really have struggled with where Jesus said, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, It would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. I I always think that's not a very Quakerly response. But what I do um, pick up from that is this matter of children's spirituality is a matter of life and death. It is no small inconsequential thing. It really is a matter of life and death. I want to leave you this morning with the queries that we ask after every godly play story questions again that have no right or wrong answers They're questions that are asking you to pay attention to your own inner teacher. The first one is I wonder what part of the story this morning, you liked the best. And the second one I wonder what part was the most important again no right or wrong, but you just paying attention to you what you've paid attention to. I wonder what part was just for you, and I wonder what part we could leave out. Holly's going to put those in the chat. Um, Jeff and I often use these queries at the end of the day, especially when we're doing trainings together, and I would encourage you and, in fact, invite you for this next week at least a couple of times at the end of the day to use these queries to reflect on your day, especially of you um, with spouses or And especially those of you with children, just simply ask these questions. Don't correct them or try to make sure they're the right thing. Just deeply listen to each other. What part of this day did you like the best? What part was most important? What part was just for you and what part could we leave out? So I invite um, us as we go into open worship, um, to sit with these questions. And if there is something that you know or would like to share that's for the community. And I think I'm taking over Clarissa's job or somebody else is doing this, but um, go ahead and finish this out.
1: Am I on? Carol, Thank you, thank you. I see hugs and warm eyes. I hope you see those too, Carol. In the next moments, we will move into open worship with Heather's words, with Derek's music, with Carol's words and questions lingering in our hearts. We can let those settle We can allow those to help us tap into that of God within each of us. If you sense that the Spirit has a word, a message, not only for beloved you, but also for beloved us, I invite you to raise your virtual hand or your actual one or send me a note in the chat and I will call on you and invite you to unmute and share with us. Thank you, friends.